What is going on, self-improver? It is Brian Ford with Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development one tip at a time. And I'm so glad that you chose to listen to this today and invest in yourself. I know that there are so many things you can do with your time and the fact that you're doing this says a lot about you and I want to acknowledge you for it. Trust me, you won't regret it because it's time for a self-improvement sit down. In these interviews, I sit down with industry leaders so that we can learn about what makes them tick, what makes them exceptional, so that we can integrate just a little bit of it into our own lives. If you like this standard two-minute episode I share every weekday on the podcast, then fear not, I'll be back with a new tip tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. But for now, sink into this incredible conversation with an incredible person. This is Self-Improvement Sit-Down number 51 with Susan McPherson. And we are live. Today's guest is Susan McPherson. Susan is the CEO of McPherson Strategies, a communications consultancy focused on the intersection of brands and social impact. With 25 plus years of marketing and PR experience, Susan is an expert at helping people find their voice and is even a Vital Voices corporate brand ambassador. Having recently authored a book called The Lost Art of Connecting, Susan is one of the most connected people in the industry and uses her network to help female-led startups succeed. Susan, thank you so much for joining me today. Brian, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Perfect. Before going into too much details about your philosophies because they are gold and we'll get to it. I just want to first reflect on kind of more of a broader representation of your work, right? So let's talk about connecting in general. I think it's a really kind of loosely used term these days. There's some kind of negative associations with it, you know, networking, you even describe, you know, has the word working in it. it doesn't need to feel like working. Um, but I'm curious to kind of hear your perspective on what role connecting and authentic connecting plays in society and how it helps meet our needs, how it helps solve problems and just kind of a larger scope on the value of connecting? Well, that's a very big question. Um, as, <laughs> as somebody who has spent her life making it um, important to connect others, I have to believe it makes the world go round. It makes mm-hmm. the magic happen. And given that I work in social impact, it is so vitally important to actually see impact realized, right? You need to build coalitions. You need to um, marry people together who may have differing opinions. Um, you, you do whatever you can to find the points of commonality. Um, and again, you know, given that lens of working in social impact, that has become, a, I think it has been my guiding light and maybe helped me with my success. But I have only known the power of connecting since I was a very young child because I had parents that literally were serial connectors before it was even a term. Mm-hmm. And you know, long before there was the internet or cell phones or even you know um, voicemail. And they would use literally the magic of the US postal mail service and uh, not even touching phones, but rotary phones <laughs> um, and manual typewriters. So, you know, that was kind of my my grounding and and seeing them. And, and I joke, my, my late father was a history professor and he taught at a woman's college and he would stay in touch with not only his former students, but the daughters of his former students and the granddaughters of his former students. Wow 
probably sounds a bit neurotic to most people, but at his memorial service in 2008, the letters that came in of stories of, you know, you know, mothers to daughters to granddaughters, it was you know, beyond. But then I realized that is part of my blood. That is part mm-hmm. of who I am. Exactly. Yeah, I know. It's that's what I was going to say. It's like it's in your genes. You know, it's something that you've just <laughs> been you, you've built a life around. And even, you know, it goes as far as to say, like this habit was instilled in you, you know, back when your parents would cut out newspaper clippings and send that around, you know, like you, you do have this whole history of, um, of kind of being involved in just being generous and kind of um, thinking of others, which is, which is really cool. All right. Now, when it comes to like networking and, you know, being more strategic around it, you prefer to kind of reframe it and you kind of call it growing a constellation versus networking. And I think that's such a beautiful kind of imagery to attach to networking because then you really see how we can be brighter together it really kind of facilitates more of a collaborative approach to it so i'd love to just like hear a little bit more about what inspired that visual of the constellation and and how that's a more appropriate way of describing what we're doing versus the conventional term yes well first of all when we look up at the sky and we see constellations they overlap and they're Mm -hmm. constantly moving and you know and changing to to a certain extent And when we think of traditional networking, it is very linear, one and done, grab the business card, shake the hand, and then you come home with the business card and a week later you're like, what, who was that, okay? And constellations tell stories. When you connect people, you are actually creating tapestries. You're creating impact of what will happen when those people meet, um, as well as what will happen to you and what you will learn. So I am by no means anti-networking. I mean, we all have to do it. But what I believe is much more, um, you know, deep rather than broad and, um, and reciprocal rather than, you know, just asking for help and then just moving on. Um, throughout my book and part of my philosophy is leading with how can I be helpful rather than what can I get? Mm-hmm. And to go back to your question about constellations, constellations again overlap. The people that we introduce and connect will go on to form their own constellations, their own stories that will then propagate impact. So in other words, we can't control and we can't, you know, it is not like, hi, goodbye. It is something that literally lasts a lifetime that ebbs and flows. So that's kind of the imagery of the constellation. And if you look at the cover of my book, there's actually overlapping circles. And mm-hmm. as you know, I've gotten older and I'm very old at this point, those circles have gotten broader and broader, but deeper and deeper. Sure. Yeah, no, that's a really brilliant and kind of cool way of describing how it is more of like a dynamic and ongoing kind of process. Yeah. Like you said, your family history has generations of impact and constellations that are being created. And I think that's so beautiful how you're right that everyone kind of plays their own role in being a star, but then the way that these larger networks end up interacting is much larger. And, you know, it allows for kind of the broader scope of impact or of purpose to be driven from the collective group, you know, so that's, that's a really beautiful um, articulation. Perfect. Cool. All right. Now let's go to the title of your book, because (laughs) I think that's an important detail here, right? So it's called the lost art of connecting, which means why are we lost? What is wrong? <laughs> what is wrong with the way that we're thinking about this these days? Right. Sure. So, um, yeah. So what is it about today's society or, or the reasons that we are lost that, you know, makes this kind of an urgent conversation where we need to think differently about connecting? 
Well, thank you for asking that. And honestly, you know, a lot of people think the book was written in response to the pandemic or, at, you know, how to connect leading into returning back from hopefully the end of this god awful pandemic. But actually, the book was conceived four years ago. And in in all honesty, my my kind of ethos for the book was to get us back to the days of how my parents connected, where the heart was in it, where the mind was in it, where we weren't thinking about the clicks and the likes and the followers as measuring our success of whether we were connecting. Um, and believe me, I'm as guilty as the next person. So this isn't me pointing fingers. I mean, this was me looking also at my own self. Secondly, a friend of mine said to me that when she um, dropped her 10-year-old and 12-year-old off at the bus stop, and she would hug them goodbye and they would get up on the school bus. As soon as they took their respective seats, their heads bopped down mm. and they were looking at their handheld devices. And when she looked at every other child on that bus, they were doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, Brian, I don't have amazing memories of my school bus drives. Believe me, you know, running away from bullies, et cetera. However, I spoke to my classmates. I had conversations. So this was kind of a, a warning sign that, you know what? We need to get back. Hmm. And of course, I started to write the book in February and then March hit. And guess what? All we had were the clicks and the likes and followers. But in the process of writing the book, which was about a seven to eight month process, I interviewed about 30 um, known leaders who have made connecting part of their, their humanity, part of their career success. And that gave me hope because hmm. in those conversations, I realized, yes, of course, we are using technology to connect, but many of us are doing so meaningfully. And if anything, this horrific pandemic has taught us there's nothing more important than meaningful connections. Absolutely. And yeah, I think that's kind of a common thread of the book too, which we're going to get into more of the nuts and bolts of it here next. But the common thread is it's not just about meeting people and making relationships, but deepening those relationships. You know, how, how do you actually pull meaning out of the people that you're around and you know not necessarily you know there's such a kind of i don't know human nature to like wanting more in quantity like oh i want to know more people and i want to be out there i want more likes and followers and stuff but then what about the quality and i think that's kind of what your book is really good at honing in on is like let's talk about the meaning and the depth of the ways that we can interact with people so well, it's also very much about being always curious and all and being open to meeting people that you may not think provide you value mm -hmm. or may not be that connection to that next promotion or that next raise or that, you know, that next board board role, but rather every single person has something to offer and every single person has connections to others. So to me, it is that leading with the curiosity because we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. And I have to tell you over the last 30 plus years of my career, it has been the people that have, have been the least like what my assumptions thought that, that 180 degrees differently. Right. Yeah. And I think that's some, that's a misconception a little bit too, is, you know, this idea of being of service, right. Um, yes. Where you can be of service to everyone and it will return to you in the most unexpected and unbelievable ways. Absolutely. So there's no reason to discern it just, you know, to, to put out that frequency and to be of service is just the best thing you could do for your own benefit. Although that's not the intention of it. It's just, it's a really beautiful kind of universal law. Um, awesome. All right. Well, let's get into the meat of the book, which is a simple formula. It is the gather, ask, do method. And personally, I love when books kind of have this systemic process because then you can actually take action, right? There's something that you can bite into. 
Um, and that's kind of what this three-step process does. So let's kind of go through them one at a time because it, it is a comprehensive formula. You can't have one without the other and they almost happen in kind of a linear order also. So let's start at the very beginning with the gather step. Tell us about it. So um, I spent a good deal of time really doing some deep reflection on how I've been very successful in building relationships over all these years. And it really came down to the gather, ask, do methodology. So obviously the book is gonna give you a lot more um, context, but for, for this conversation, I'll give you kind of a broad overview. In the gather phase, the first and most important thing to do is to actually ask yourself the question, what is a meaningful relationship? Because for every single person, it is, it is truly a personal um, and, and it is going to differ. The next part of the gather phase is to actually do some deep reflection onto what is the community you want to build that is going to help you reach your specific goals over the next four years, four months, four weeks, okay? So very intentionally thinking about who do you wanna surround yourself with? And how are you gonna make sure that that community doesn't look like you, sound like you, the same age as you, the same color as you? How are you going to make sure you drive inclusivity? Hmm. And lastly, the part of the gather phase is doing the reflection on yourself as to what is your secret sauce or sauces? What is your chief differentiating factor that you can offer up the community, right? Um, because again, one of the themes that leads through the entire book, and I mentioned it earlier, is this notion of how can I lead with how can I help? And in order to be helpful, you need to know how you can be helpful, okay? Mm. So that's gather. The ask phase is when you actually ask meaningful questions of others virtually or in person, the questions that are going to lead you to learn things about that person, meaning what is that person's goals and hopes and dreams? And obviously you don't have to go that deep back, you know, when you just meet somebody, but ask questions that are not like, what's the weather like today? Or what did you have for lunch today? And if you listen during the ask phase, which is really important because some of us and most of us are woefully bad at listening, you can then get to the do, which is my favorite place. And that's where after you listen to what the hopes and dreams were of the person in the ass phase, you can then become helpful, responsible, reliable, trustworthy, all the things that help you be an extraordinary person and also somebody that can build meaningful relationships. So all in all, this is not something that one and done. And I honestly would go be so bold as to say, this is an ideal time, given that we're in this weird purgatory where we have like a big toe out the door, but the rest of us is still sitting inside, <laughs> um, where we can really be intentional about what do we want to see happen when we are back in some sense of normalcy. And I will even go so far as say, we actually have a do-over opportunity. Mm. And there aren't many times in our lives that we collectively have that, but we do now. Yeah. Yeah. Super powerful. You're right. I mean, it, there's a call to action if anyone's looking for one, you know, just to like understand like how much value there is in the people around you and how much, how, how much resource you could tap into and how we are truly better together if we just allow ourselves to do it. Now, I actually think that like in thinking through what is one of the kind of like barriers, roadblocks, friction points to people adopting something like this, um, which it's not hard to do. You just kind of need to get yourself to do it. But yeah. Um, but it's the idea of psychological safety. And I know that you mentioned that in the gather phase of this and kind of how, 
you know, we have, you know, our whole hierarchy of needs and one of them is to belong. But of course, you know, psychological safety, I feel like is embedded in the whole hierarchy of needs. Um, and and I, I'm interested to learn your take on how can you cultivate psychological safety, whether it's in the workplace or with yeah. personal relationships, how can you get people feeling okay, being vulnerable, telling, telling you what their real problems are? I believe the onerous, um, and sometimes we don't have the power because we're not in charge, but I do believe the onerous in business and in organizations is at the top of the food chain. That, um, and, and studies show that if employees are more meaningfully connected, meaning actually friends at work, they are going to be far more productive. They are much more likely to stay at the job. They are much more likely to recommend the workplace to others to apply. So to me, the onerous needs to be on those that lead organizations to create safe spaces, to encourage connection. And that doesn't mean just, you know, happy hours and getting drunk together. I mean, that means actually making it part of you know your um performance appraisals right like mm. building it in um because we can't expect everyone to feel safe everybody is coming from different walks of life i will say another like hindrance that sometimes holds people back is they think they have nothing to offer we um i included go have days where i complete imposter syndrome like mm -hmm. i'm like really i wrote a book not really um so the notion is sometimes the best way to solve that is to really ask your closest confidants the, you know, your, your almost your personal brain trust for, you know, a look in the mirror, like let them be your mirror and give you an idea of what your secret sauces are. Cause sometimes we just need that reminder. Um, and if we have that, that confidence that we can actually be of help to others that way, when we're in these rooms, we have less fear in speaking up. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So there's, there's an element of self-awareness that is kind of built into this as well. That's super interesting. I mean, yeah, that's a theme that comes up a lot within personal development is, you know, if you're kind of positioning yourself in criticism, judgment, or ego-based emotions, right? Like there's always a point of relativity to that. And that's where, you know, self-awareness is important to be able to kind of place yourself in reason with that. But it sounds like also in these kind of external communications, not only your internal dialogue, but once you do take that externally, you need to have that presence and self-awareness to know where you add value. So you can actually offer help that you're capable of adding but right. then also connecting with people so that they feel your genuine authenticity in kind of yeah. engaging with them makes also, a lot of sense. I think it's important, you know, because there is this notion of like, wait a minute, if I'm going to be helping everybody else, how am I helping myself? And <clears throat> this is very much putting the oxygen mask on first. I am certainly not suggesting we don't help ourselves. What I am suggesting is when we help others, we are actually helping ourselves mm -hmm. because when it comes time for us to need help, if we have been helpful, guess what? More people are going to want to help. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's like gravity, right? It just exists. But, um, you know, I, I also think the, at the more deep, meaningful relationships you have, the more from which you can tap when you need mm -hmm. help. So it isn't you doing the heavy lifting. For example, if somebody came to me and said, Susan, I'm starting a coral restoration project. Can you help? I don't know how to restore coral. But guess what? In my community, in the world of people I know, I know people who do. Right. So, you know, I'm tapping them. They're doing the lifting, right? So it's a little bit of passing the dot or the domino effect, I guess you could say. Sure. Yeah. And that's, yeah, again, that's the self-awareness of, oh, I can't do it, but I know who can, you know, and, right. and there, it takes that presence and yeah. And it's an investment, you know, I mean, something that, you know, you've spoken on before is with McPherson strategies, you know, 
this, the, the success you've had and the clients you've been able to bring on is 30 years in the making because you were investing in building relationships so that when the time came for you to then ask for help or to help people point you in the right direction to finding clients, it no longer became this transactional element. It was, it came from that really authentic place of, Hey, we know, like trust and respect each other. Do you see that my value could be valuable to someone else? You know? And, and that's kind of the part of it is like, it does take this investment in this, you know, service and like really putting in the time and coming from the right place in order for it to return. And it does in the most incredible ways. I, I cannot emphasize enough. (laughs) And you become more efficient. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is when you have, when you, when you have these meaningful conversations, you learn more about people so that you learn if somebody is an expert in coral restoration, right? Right. Yeah. Because you're curious from the very beginning. Absolutely. Nope. That's exactly it. Cool. Awesome. All right. And then another little detail that I noticed in the do phase. Um, so, you know, we're coming back down. So it's gather, ask, do. So the final, the final phase here, um, and this is something that I've started doing and I didn't know where or why. And I noticed that it was a tactic that you mentioned too, which is about complimenting people and like really letting people, you know, feel valued, feel seen, right. You know, kind of insecure. Um, but I'm curious, I'm curious to know kind of like how that habit originated for you in terms of, you know, beginning to acknowledge people and complimenting people, but then also how you see that's been received by others and, and why that's been a beneficial kind of addition to the way that you interact with people. Cause it does kind of, it could feel like it comes off as insincere, but it's more highlighting someone, you know, that's kind of where I've had a hard time reasoning. And I'm curious to hear your perspective on kind of how you compliment. I think that there's a, there's something about when you publicly showcase the good that somebody has done is very different than, oh, you're pretty or, oh, I like your dress. Right. But, oh, you know, putting out on, on a, on a social platform that you recently won an award and congratulations is, is where I'm talking about complimenting, Mm. I think. Um, but also if I was to kind of peel back the layers, when you listen to somebody carefully and when you follow up with that person and actually, um, you know, literally go so far as mention something you spoke about and acknowledge what you saw and what you heard, that's the greatest gift we can give one another, right? If that mm. shows somebody um, that you actually paid attention. And then the next day when you followed up it said, I enjoyed our conversation about you know, that delicious hummus that we both love. I mean, I'm being facetious when I say hummus, but the notion is, is, is that isn't necessarily complimenting somebody, but that is acknowledging that you heard them. And in some ways that is the greatest gift. Secondly, in terms of being sincere, you have to do it regularly. Like it can't, you know, and, and it has to be sincere. It can't be, you know, you can't just be saying things for the sake of saying things, because again, then guess what? It's not sincere. So I I certainly am not suggesting we compliment people when they don't deserve compliments, right? (laughs) But when somebody does something really lovely, I think it's wonderful to publicly recognize them, whether it's on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever, or in a, you know, a WhatsApp group or a, you know, because life is hard. And sometimes when people stop and notice something good you did, you know what, it's just a good thing to do. Yeah. Oh, I think that's a really interesting point. It's been on my mind a lot lately is the idea of how you can go just a little bit out of your way in terms of effort, value, whatever is being delivered and allow that to expand into so much more impact being delivered. You know, it's like a, a 10 unit 
investment could return a hundred units to someone else just because you hit them at the right time in the right way for the right reason. And there's just a lot of, I feel like more than anything in like the social impact space, there's just this amplification and compounding effect of how you can really, you know, amplify voices um, and, and kind of bring attention to things that are important. So people of course want to feel that themselves. They, you know, in being acknowledged, like you said, you could take five seconds to just like someone's post and put a quick comment on it. And that yeah. means the world to them because you took the time to actually consume what they're about and what they're, you know, what they're interested in. All right. And then before we wrap up here, I, I want to ask about one last topic too, which um, I think kind of taps into this question of insincere, sincere, genuine, disingenuous. Um, but it's the idea of just generosity at large and the value that generosity plays when it comes to the resources that you have. And I think you have an interesting relationship with it because like you said, you don't just go out kind of like helping anyone and everyone about everything. Like that's not an efficient use of your resources, time and, and, and emotional states, right? But when it comes to generosity, there's almost kind of like an intentional angle of generosity where it's like, we're doing this because we believe in that person or believe in that cause or we see the larger picture, you know, we see the, the constellations kind of intertwining. I'm curious to know how you relate with generosity and how you discern the different instances where you can be generous versus, you know, maybe holding your resources more tightly. Well, I'm, I'm, I, this is a very challenging question for me because it, I love to give, yeah. <laughs> you know, and one of the things about eight years ago I learned was angel investing. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, sadly, my, my mom was killed in a horrible tragedy when I was uh, just turned 22. And there was, um, it was a hotel fire, and there was a class action suit, which um, gave my family some funds um, that I invested, of course, and, and just put away for a rainy day. And when I got to be, you know, in my late 40s, I was thinking, you know, I didn't have children. And what is a good use? And what is a way to honor my mother's memory, um, and keep her memory alive? And some of it, of course, was philanthropic. Um, but then, you know, I learned about angel investing and I got hooked and I don't want anybody to take this advice because I don't do the proper diligence in terms of looking at the cap table and doing the research about the actual product. <laughs> I fall in love with the founders and then I write checks. So there's <laughs> actually no methodology I want to share there, but I will say when I invest in women-led startups, which I've now done my 18th, I do it when I can also add more than just the check. In other words, you know, you know, can I connect them with media? Can I help um, get visibility for their particular company? Can I lead them to other investors? So in other words, if I'm going to go so far as an invest, I want to also provide other value. So it mm -hmm. becomes much broader generosity. Um, but again, for your listeners, this is not the way you want to invest because you want to invest to make money. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it, it you know, it, I... I was fortunate to have the funds to do it. What led to having the funds, I wouldn't wish on anyone. So it's a, it's a, it's a strange dynamic to grapple with. But my mom went back to work when I was in first grade in 1971 and was you know, a huge proponent of ERA and women's empowerment. So to me, this is a little way of carrying on her memory. Mm -hmm. No, it's really inspiring. And I think you... You answered the question in a really eloquent but indirect way. No, indirect way, which was that you found what's important to you, which is kind of that story, right, of honoring your mom. Yeah. And 
And that's really powerful, but that has been your guiding star in where you're generous and where you keep kind of extra eyes open and, and ears open to ideas and kind of context around you so that you can support in that way, because that's where you come from. So it's almost, may, maybe that's kind of the relationship I'm trying to draw, right? Because I'm trying to figure out where I go with my generosity too, but it's almost as if um, it self-selects, you know, based on the possibilities and environments that you're in, you choose those environments for yourself because you've taken an interest in them. And since there are opportunities to support people in those environments, be free and open with that generosity because the generosity that is attracted to you is that which you match in terms of the intentions to serve. So there's almost kind of like a natural balance and connection between those, um, which is, which is a profound concept that I'm going to need to sleep on. Um, but that's uh, wow. Awesome, Susan. Okay. So this has been incredible. I mean, clearly, you know, this inside and out. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to know if there's any kind of punchy takeaway that relates to either the gather, ask, do method, or just connecting in general. What, what do you want to make sure people understand about the lost art of connecting uh, before we take off? Well, one powerful piece of research I learned that when we live a life of meaningfully connecting with others, we actually live longer. I mm. mean, there are variables, obviously, that affect that. But to me, it's like, oh, duh. <laughs> um, and if we pivot on this notion of what can I get, what can I gain to, how can I help, how can I be of service, the good will come back. I believe that, I've seen that, I've lived that. So I think that would be my, my takeaway. Fantastic. Susan, thank you so much for sharing all of your insights and experience uh, with us today. And I'm just so grateful to know you. And hopefully this is just the beginning of all the impact that we can uh, generate together. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. That was Susan McPherson, the author of the book, The Lost Art of Connecting. Susan shared some incredible insights in this conversation. Most notably is the way she's completely flipped the way we think about networking. It's not about finding ways to advance yourself and getting what you want from new relationships. It's about developing deep, meaningful relationships where you're of service to others and their mission. More specifically, we talked about how you do that through the gather, ask, do method, growing your constellation of dynamic and interconnected stars and being generous with the resources you have. You can check out more information about Susan and her book in the description of this episode. Thank you for stopping by. I'll see you next time on Self-Improvement Daily.